Well, hello from Los Angeles. Happy Daylight Savings Time. Today is March 10 of 2013. It's 1 o'clock on the West Coast. It's uh, 4 o'clock in the East, 20 hours Greenwich or Universal Time. Nice to be with you. The Mystery School goes for the next 20 minutes or so and is an introduction to a premium training that follows in about a half an hour. The introduction, the free forum as we call it, is also podcast, and so you can listen streaming to the replay at theagelesswisdom.com or subscribe to the podcast either at that site or at the iTunes store and most other major podcast directories. The premium training is easy enough to enroll in if you find the introductory topic to be particularly fascinating or of interest to you somehow. And that begins, as I say, at 1.30 Pacific time and 20 hours, 30 minutes during the summer anyway, universal time. And to enroll in the premium training for a single class for a 13-week quarter or for a full 52-week year, simply click on premium training when you go to our primary website, the theageleswisdom.com. The T-H-E is part of it, the Ageless Wisdom, the theagelesswisdom.com. Then click on webinars and then on premium training, and you can sign up with your bank card, your ATM card, credit debit card in about 60 seconds. The thank you page will have the URL link and the password you need to listen to the premium training, either live or by replay on demand. Then, of course, you can download the MP3 after class adjourns as well. So that's the deal. If you're new or only been here a couple of times, I thought I'd mention that at the top today. Our topic is the seven laws of life. And uh, this is pretty intimidating. Sure, there's only seven, and I could just read down the list and call it a day, (laughs) do it in about 10 minutes. Or I could take two or three hours on each one of these items And I have to strike instead some kind of happy medium and give you an overview of these seven principles in the next 15 or 20 minutes. And then in the premium training, we'll spend about an hour and a half going over these in some detail. But even then, the implications, I guess, of these principles and ramifications are so huge, so extraordinary, uh, so all-encompassing that we could uh, we could do a week-long seminar and dedicate a day to each one of these principles. No, no, no problem at all. So sit back and settle in, and I want you to set your mind free here as we examine what are really very basic and very fundamental laws of the universe. Now, 
I'm not Moses, and I don't claim to be any kind of prophet. I'm basically a journalist, and nothing here is original. What I've done is synthesized and distilled a number of famous, popular, classic lists about what makes the world work from philosophy, from theology, from psychology, from education. In some cases, reordered it, recombined it, and created my own list because I think that's what we're supposed to do as students. So I share my list with you. It's like uh, you let me see your class notes. I'll show you my class notes. We're both students. And the last thing that I would want you to do is think of this as uh, carved in rock or given to me from the burning bush. Again, this is my own synthesis and my own understanding of the basic laws of metaphysics. Now, you understand that there are laws of physics. Most of us have been fairly well educated, and we know that there are these principles that are in operation in the way the world around us works. Perhaps gravity is a good place to begin. It's rather indisputable. We understand the laws of gravity. Uh, There are actual numbers, quantitative numbers that we can assign in terms of velocity and rates of acceleration for items that may be dropped out of the Tower of Pisa, you know, those experiments where you drop a stone and an apple. And although the, the mass is very different, they fall at the same velocity and they accelerate at the same rate. So gravity is just an example. There are laws of thermodynamics, the way in which heat moves uh, following paths of least resistance from hot toward cold. Um, Electrical energy in the same way, following paths of least resistance according to Ohm's law, in which case we see Voltage as being equal to amperage times resistance. And you can factor that and play around with it. If you have any two of those three variables, you can figure out the third. And that's a fascinating formula or relationship. Newton's laws of motion. We still understand these to be valid laws, although Einstein's theories tended to put a lot of Newton's laws of motion into a cocked hat. In other words, it's not that Newton was proven wrong so much as incomplete by Einstein's laws because we found that very small particles with very low mass moving at very high rates of speed bended Newton's laws about action and reaction and objects in motion. In fact, we found that small particles moving at high rates of speed even move through warped space at a variable time, that even time and space itself is a 
continuum that can change. The faster a particle goes, the slower time goes. And most of us, unless we specialize in science and get an advanced degree in science, find this really difficult to get our brains around. So just as there are laws of physics that are immutable, unchanging, and reliable, in other words, there have always been understood to be laws of metaphysics that stand behind the laws of physics. Indeed, the prefix meta is a Greek root that means beyond or behind. So beyond or behind physics is metaphysics. What is metaphysics? Well, this is a term that Aristotle came up with, although he doesn't take credit for it personally. He attributes it to philosophers that lived before him, even. And yet, metaphysics is a little difficult to describe. In popular culture today, in the 21st century, metaphysics has come to be seen basically as the impact of consciousness or awareness on physical dense reality. And burgeoning numbers of people all over the world are accepting the idea that they are responsible, at least to some degree, in a relative, if not in an absolute way, for the way in which their thoughts manifest in the world as circumstance, as relationships, as opportunities, and as actual physical forms. Um, some people have a little more refined understanding and say it's not really the thoughts that are magnetic, but the awareness behind the thought, what Buddha or Christ would have called the intention. It's the magnetic nature of your intention or your awareness that attracts the thought, that magnetically attracts the feeling, that magnetically attracts the physical form or the relationship or the circumstance or the opportunity. And this is one of the laws we'll talk about today, the law of attraction. And it's very popular. And it has a very strong relationship, as you're about to discover, to the law of correspondence, to the laws of polarity and vibration and generation, also known as cause and effect, and the laws of karma and reincarnation, and even something called the law of evolution. So all of these laws are interlocking principles. I could break this list down into 15 or 20 points. I could collapse it into one or two points. That wouldn't be much of a list. Manly Hall, the great 20th century philosopher, lived in Los Angeles, the Philosophical Research Society. In his book, Questions and Answers, listed the seven laws of life. I pulled on that. I'm also pulling on a classic metaphysical book from 1908 called The Kabbalion, not to be confused in any way with Kabbalah. This is ancient Hermetic or Egyptian 
philosophy, and there are seven key principles in this book that are very similar to the seven laws of life as Manley describes them in Questions and Answers. And then just cruising through the internet, you know, Googling this and Googling that and looking at other people's ideas of what makes reality work, what do the laws of physics stand upon in terms of spiritual or metaphysical laws, maybe I should say metaphysical laws, and <laughs> put the accent on the first syllable, syllable, but I want you to get the relationship of metaphysics to physics and the idea of spiritual laws as being no different, really, more fundamental, but otherwise, just like laws of physics, to say that God is unmovable and unchanging, that God is law, is sometimes that you often hear, and yet we personify God. In many approaches to Christianity and Judaism and Islam and Western Abrahamic religions, the difference between God the Father and God the Son, since they're co-equal branches of the Trinity, might often be said that God the Father is impersonal, whereas God the Son is a personal Savior. And your approach to the Father is through the Son. That's why Christ, you might say, said that he was the way and the light. And the only prayer he ever taught was to the Father. Uh, this is an esoteric interpretation of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit, so-called, would be the mother aspect. And this also speaks to hermetic philosophy for long before Christ walked the earth as Jesus of Nazareth. There was a trinity in Egyptian philosophy, king, prince, and queen, Osiris, Horus, and Isis. And again, they represent spirit, consciousness, and the material world, just like father, son, and the mother aspect. But, you know, the church's attitude, the Christian church's attitude about women so mother has to be called by another name, hence Holy Spirit. I think it's unfortunate because we miss out on the nature of the divine feminine. And it also suggests that if the third element of the Trinity is Holy Spirit, that the Father and the Son are not Holy Spirit. And of course, they're all Holy Spirit. And the Father is the Father and the Mother has a feminine and masculine aspect. How could... God not be all that is. So obviously there's a feminine aspect to divinity. All right, well, having said that, let's just run down the list for the purposes of our intro here in the free forum, and then hopefully you can join us for a pocket full of change at the premium training. And you can listen to that repeatedly as streaming audio or download the MP3 and really make a study out of it. The first concept in my synthesized or distilled list of the seven laws of life is the idea that the one spirit is absolute, that God is less a separated being than the totality of all that is 
and all that could be. That divinity is transcendent. It is the creation, imminent in the creation, but also transcendent. The creation is in the creator and then some. Uh, that ultimately God is unknowable and the one about whom naught may be said. Grander, more magnificent, more awesome than any human brain could understand. Imagine a cockroach trying to figure out nuclear physics or a mosquito trying to put a man on the moon. Uh, It just lacks the capacity. And so, arguably, from time out of mind, human beings have accepted pretty much that they can't know God. So, visualizing God as a form is a personification of divinity. It's actually idolatry, the way many people think, to take the concept of being created in God's image and turn it around so that we now create God in our image and project upon God human flaws and frailties like an angry God. What kind of God gets angry, for example, or condemns his children to eternal hell? And what is hell? We'll talk about that in a minute. So the one spirit is absolute. It is a cosmic, which means ordered, It is whole. This is where the word holy comes from. And it is absolute. It is eternal. It is infinite. It is unchanging. This is the mind of God. This is divine will. This is the creator and the source of all that is. This is the idea that there is really only one of us here. And that it does manifest as a trinity, Father Spirit, representing the will or the mind of God. Mother Matter, the physical activity and the body of God, the physical universe. And then born of spirit and matter, the middle element, the consciousness or the sun, the Christos or Buddha nature, which is the heart of God, the love or the soul. The second law, so to speak, is that souls are divine love, awareness or consciousness existing in the heart of God. This is known as heaven or Eden. This is what Plato meant by the soul shares the ground of God. Contrary to strict religious teaching, ancients have understood that the soul is not manufactured upon conception, but pre-exists in heaven in the heart of God as God's magnetic, redemptive love and could not be anyplace else. It does extend itself into incarnation and take up an instrument or a physical body. This is allowed because of the soul's magnetic nature. It allows, as the ancients say, the one to become the many, without being diminished or affected in any way. So, the soul cannot go to hell, the soul cannot live in the hell, the soul extends itself into physical form, but exists 
before incarnation, during incarnation, and after incarnation in heaven, in Eden, in the heart of God. This is the mystical, ancient, and universal principle of all shamanism, all pantheism, and all of the ancient philosophies. Whether it's true or not is up to you. You know, I'm, I'm, again, this is not me decreeing anything. These are ancient concepts from the ageless wisdom. The third principle is the law of evolution. Plato called this ideation, that the truth of reality exists in the mind of God, that the truth of the rose is in God's ability to ideate a rose. It's not in the rose because the rose itself is in perpetual change, in flux. It's never the same two seconds in a row. It's a bud, it's a flower, it blossoms and blooms, it opens, it withers, it falls to the earth where it decays, is dissolved and taken up by the root system of the rose bush. And year after year, perennially, the rose comes forward. But the truth of the rose, Plato would argue, is ideation. In addition to the cyclical manifestation of life in this way, you have the idea of a progression. This is the law of evolution, or an unfolding of an infinitely abundant universe for the purpose of growing the awareness or the consciousness of the soul. So, as spirit or energy, both consciousness itself and the material forms that it takes are eternally vital, always expanding, and always unfolding, both as soul and your persona, spirit transforms and transmutes. It redeems, it refines, it brings harmony out of conflict and order out of chaos. And in this way, all that is grows eternally. Boy, this is taking even as fast as I'm going, taking longer than I thought. The law of karma and reincarnation is next. It's part of the law of evolution, sometimes called the law of cause and effect. Five is very complex. This is the laws of polarity, the duality, or the appearance of duality, of vibration, the rate of frequency, and the cyclic nature of this duality, and generation, the way in which masculine and feminine principles have to come together to generate new form. Six is the laws of correspondence and the previously mentioned law of attraction, this is as above, so below, as within, so it is without. Everything happens for a reason. Things don't just happen. And seven is the laws of detachment and acceptance, that letting go of fear is required so that only love remains, and that holding on is what frightened personas do when they don't know that they're actually a soul and already in heaven. We can contact that soul above and free of form. About all we have time for in the free form, I hope that piques your interest and your curiosity enough to jump over now to the w's.theagelesswisdom.com. 
click on webinars and then premium training and you can sign up for a single class or a quarter or a full year in a, a matter of seconds. The thank you page will have the URL. If you sign up for more than one week, you'll get emails every Saturday night or Sunday morning with the password and URL for that week. And we'll talk to you next week, either live, streaming, or by podcast. This is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. So long from L.A.